Good morning. Welcome once again to Connection Point Church. So good to be with you this morning. I just want to jump right into the word this morning. Several thousand years ago, the completion of the temple took place in Jerusalem. And ever since that, the, the Jewish believer has been required to pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year for um, three different festivals. In the springtime, they're to pilgrimage for Passover, which is what we are what they are celebrating right now. So they're, they're required to pilgrimage to Passover, or for Passover, even though the temple is no longer there. What you have now is just a, a wall that's left, or it's the Wailing Wall, as some will call it, or the, the Western Wall. It's what's left of the, the temple from 3,000 years ago, and, and people will gather. Do I have a slide back there with that, or did I not get it in the thing? Okay, I don't have a slide. It's okay. Oh, it's not his fault. It's my fault for not putting it in there. I had one. I promise you it was good, okay? So there, there's this, this wall that still stands today, and people will come, and they'll travel from all over the world, and they'll, they'll go there, and they'll stand before that wall. But they've been doing it for thousands of years to celebrate, to commemorate the Passover festival. And so if you've been in, in church for any length of time at all, you're probably familiar with the Passover story in regards to when, when God brought the people of, of Israel out of Egypt. Do you remember the, how the story goes? The, the people of Israel were in captivity in Egypt. They were there for, for 400 years, and, and they were crying out to God, and, and the Word of God says, and God heard their cries. So he, he comes to Moses out in the desert, and he speaks to him through the burning bush, and he, and he tells Moses to go and, and talk to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And, and Moses wasn't so keen on the idea at first. You remember that? And finally, he, he, he goes, and he takes his brother with him because he was afraid he couldn't speak. And, and they go to the Pharaoh, and, he, and they ask him, or they tell him that God has said, let my people go. And, and he's like, no. And so, so God speaks to Moses, and he tells him that he's going to send these plagues upon the land. And one after another come, yet Pharaoh will not let the people go. Then the, after the ninth plague, God tells Moses about the tenth one coming. And this tenth plague says that they are going, that God is going to send the death angel, and it's going to go throughout the land, and it's going to kill the firstborn uh, male from every home. But, he said, listen, if you will instruct the people, if you will tell them that if they will take a lamb, and if they will sacrifice that lamb, if they will eat that, and if they'll take the blood from that lamb, and they will cover their doorpost with the blood of that lamb, this death angel will pass over their home, and they will not be harmed. So, there they are, they're, they're now long time past this here in the first century, and they're still celebrating what God had done so many centuries before. How he, had, how he did exactly what he said he would do, that he would send the death angel. The death angel came. It, it took out the firstborn male in every home, but it passed over the home of those who had covered their doorposts with the lamb. So they celebrate that of God's victorious hand with a feast, the Passover feast. And so every year, they would, they would journey to Jerusalem 
to go to the temple, to worship God, to offer an offering, and to celebrate Passover. Can you imagine what it must have been like there in the first century? Because today, even today, there are just just tons of people who will go and stand at that wall. But can you imagine what it must have been like in the first century when the temple stood and the people would crowd the streets and they would come in to celebrate? Can you imagine what it must have been like if you had, had done that with your family and now you have a family of your own and you're bringing your family to celebrate this Passover feast and what God had done, how he had brought your people out of captivity, into freedom, into the promised land. And, and you're there and you're going about your business. You've heard the story all your life. But you also heard the, the words of Isaiah, right? The, the, the prophetic words that Isaiah spoke. The, the ones that said this. Can you put that next verse up there for me? For unto us, a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You grew up hearing this, but 700 years had passed, and the Messiah had not yet come. But now, you're there in Jerusalem, and you're going about the your business, you're preparing for Passover, and you begin to hear the talk in the streets. You begin to hear the whisper, could this be the one? You begin to hear them talk about the one who, who turned water into wine. You begin to hear about the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. You begin to hear about the one who walked upon the water. You begin to hear about this teacher, this rabbi, who teaches like no one has ever taught before, one who draws crowds from all over. And you begin hearing the whisper, his name is Jesus, and I think he's the Messiah. I think he's the one that, that Isaiah had spoke about, and he's coming. He's coming to celebrate Passover. He's coming to Jerusalem. And the crowds begin to, to talk. And the stir was going on. And then he came. And Matthew tells us, in Matthew chapter 21, he tells us this. Jesus is coming to the city, and he tells his disciples. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and sat him on him. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. People had hear, heard of his coming. They, they heard that the Messiah was coming. Others cut down branches from the trees, and they spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. People were all around. They were shouting. They were celebrating this coming king, Hosanna, son of David. People were shouting Hosanna. 
But if you turn over to Luke chapter 19, you'll hear what Jesus said to all of this. In verse number 41, he says, Now as he drew, all ne drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for you peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around me to surround you and close you in on every side. The people were cheering, and Jesus was weeping. Those who were cheering, they didn't understand the true picture of what was going on. They didn't, they didn't see it clearly. They didn't see it through the spiritual work that Jesus came to do. If you ever didn't have glasses and needed glasses and got glasses, you saw clearly, right? I remember when, when Jacob was very, our oldest, when he was just a small child, long, long time ago. He could not see. At least that's what he told us. So we finally told, we, we, we kind of ignored it for a while, right? We're like, okay, you, you can see. All our kids had great vision before him. And he's like, I can't see. We finally took him to the doctor. He could not see. I mean, it was bad. Like, I don't know if, if the big number goes on top or the little number, but 200 over 20 or 20 over 200. He basically could see the E, right? That's it. Second line, he couldn't see. We're like, wow. <laughs> you couldn't see. So they, they ordered glasses for him and, and all of that, and we come back, and we get glasses, and we're riding home. He's like, the tree has leaves. <laughs> we're like, oh, my goodness. I'm telling you, we felt, you know, like it was about as low as you could feel. If you ever get the wrong prescription, it's not good either, right? Most of you all know that I tried to, to get contacts last year. I got them. They're still in the package at the house. <laughs> I tried wearing them. I tried putting them in my, my eye, and every time I just could not make it happen. I'd finally get it in the eye, and I couldn't see. I'd, I'd have them turned inside out or, or whatever. you got to have the right prescription, right? And you got to put them in the right way. But when you look through a lens, either a wrong prescription or not one at all, you don't see clearly, right? That's what's going on in this story. The, the people aren't seeing clearly. They're, they're, they're shouting Hosanna, but for all the wrong reasons. They, they, they were seeing through their physical eyes instead of their spiritual eyes. See, they, they, they had their idea of what they wanted. See, they, they wanted him to come and free them from the bondage that they were in, but not the spiritual bondage. They wanted release from the Roman oppressors is what they were looking for. See, he had come to bring freedom, freedom from bondage. And this bondage is so much greater than any physical bondage we can find ourselves in. But they could only see him as someone to bring them out of their current situation. They saw him as a situational savior. And I would say not a lot has changed. How many times do we do the exact same thing? We look to God to bring us out of a situation. 
We, we look to him to, to save us from, from this or save us from that without really seeing him for who he truly is. He wants to be our Lord and Savior, but he wants to be our Lord and Savior of our entire life. And oftentimes, what do we do? We only see him as our situational Savior, too. He cannot be just that to us. He is so much more. See, the the people who lined the streets of Jerusalem, that's how they saw him. They saw Jesus as the one who had come, the one that was about to establish his kingdom, as Isaiah had foretold, but they saw it as a physical kingdom, one that would free them from that of the, the Romans. So the people lined the streets, they were cheering, Hosanna, son of David, Palm Sunday. Oftentimes, we'll come into church on Palm Sunday and we'll preach on, on that triumphal entry. And then we'll come back on Easter and we'll preach of that empty tomb. But can I remind you of something? There's a whole week in between. There's a lot that took place between that triumphal entry and the day that the tomb was empty. And we celebrate. We celebrate the king today. But we must not forget, as Pastor Toby was saying this morning, what he has done. We got to remember what he did and the work that he did that week. Wow. What a week started out with cheers and ended with cheers, but the cheers were crucify him. Even in his agony upon the cross, he didn't stop teaching us. On that Friday, that good Friday, he spoke words from the cross. Jesus was beaten beyond recognition. They spit upon him. They mocked him. They punched him. They cursed him. They forced him to carry his own cross through the streets. And then they nailed him to it. Then they dropped that cross into the hole. Can you imagine the jarring to the body that that must have been? And there he is, up upon the cross, hanging there. And the first words out of his mouth are what? Father, forgive them. We love to be forgiven, don't we? And we love it. But Jesus is modeling so much more for us there. It's not just about us being forgiven there. In that moment, what's he doing? He's teaching us, right? I mean, he had just been through the worst of the worst. Beaten, mocked, spit upon, cursed, like the cat of nine tails, 39 times across his back. Literally would be flesh would be hanging there. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And in that moment, what he's doing for us is he's demonstrating the forgiveness that we too must model. Regardless of our circumstances. Because can I tell you something? It doesn't get much worse than his circumstances. So he's not saying, hey, do this when they just said a bad word about you. He's not saying, do this 
when they betray you so that they could get the raise at work. He's not saying just do this when it's, when it's not going to cost you. But when we are wronged, what do we want to do? And we want to hold on to it, don't we? We don't want to let it go, do we? It, it, I don't, it's like a badge of honor or something that we feel like we get to, to hold on to and if, if we don't offer forgiveness. The only thing we're truly holding on to, though, is bitterness. And it's eating us alive. See, we, we're, we're like, but, but you don't know what they did to me. Do we need to go back through the, the 24 hours in Jesus' life before he, before he uttered these words, Father, forgive them? Do we need to walk back to the fact that he was betrayed by one of the 12 who were closest to him for a few pieces of silver? You're like, well, maybe, maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been betrayed by a close friend. So I'll give you that, okay? And it was mocked, spit upon, punched, cursed. Maybe you experienced even some of that. Beaten? Maybe. Probably not 39 lashes with the cat of nine, ta- nine tails. What about these, though? The crown of thorns pushed down into his head. What about being stripped in front of the city? Forced to carry a rugged beam through the streets the same beam that they would nail you to. And what about when that was dropped into the hole and the shock waves that would just rush through you with the agonizing pain? What about the fact that he was left hanging there until he literally suffocated by his own weight? You see, we're, we're, we're quick to say, but you don't know what they've done to me. I'm here to remind you what they've done to him. You see, all of those things happened to him. Every one of them. And as he was hanging there on the tree, he says, Father, forgive them. Hanging there in incredible agony, Jesus reveals something to us. He reveals to us our greatest need, and that's forgiveness. Our greatest need is the forgiveness of sin. And Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do you see the love in that? The love that he models. He doesn't call for the Father to bring his wrath upon them. But instead, he says, forgive them. So what do we do when we've been wrong? What do we do in relationships where things are not the way that they should be when they've done something wrong to us? We tend to stay mad at them, though, don't we? We, we, we tend to hold on to bitterness and resentment. But Jesus modeled forgiveness. So what did he do in that moment? What was he saying? What was he doing by saying, Father, forgive them? He was praying, right? He was was talking to the Father, and he was praying. So when you're facing a road 
that you don't know how you're going to make it down, when you're, when you're facing a situation that, that you don't have an answer to, when, when you're being prompted by the Holy Spirit to go back and, and offer forgiveness to that person that wronged you 20 years ago that you've been holding on to, what are you going to do? You do what Jesus did and you begin to pray. And you begin to talk to the Father. And you begin to ask Him to help you. Isn't praying what Jesus was doing right up until the moment that he was arrested and taken away? He, he knew what was in front of him. He knew what he faced. And he grabbed his closest friends and he said, come on, let's go pray. He went and he talked to the Father. What did he say? He said, oh, my Father, if it is possible. Let this cup pass from me. What's he saying? He's saying, God, if there's any other way, I don't really want to do this. Right? He, he wasn't saying, man, I got this. He's saying, Father, if there's another way, any way, nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. When the road before you seems too much to bear, go to the Father. Because we can't bear it on our own. It is only in His strength. It is only by the grace of God, that enabling, empowering presence. We can't do it on our own. It takes the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus said, is it possible? If it is possible. Lord, if there is any other way, but in the end, he said, but not my will. Can I tell you something? We are not called to the same standards as the world. See, because the world says this, get yours and get even, right? I mean, the, the, world, the world says you need to pay them back for what they did to you. But that's not the way of the Lord. See, when you come to accept Christ, you're called to a higher standard. Those first words from the cross are oh so important. Father, forgive them. It's not easy, though, is it? It's easy to stand up here and say it, for sure. But it's a little harder to live it out, isn't it? It's a little harder... When, when you truly have been hurt, when you truly have been wronged, when people truly have been out to get you, it's a little harder to live that out sometimes, isn't it? And can I tell you, if you're trying to do it on your own, you can't. Because our flesh says, I got to get even. I got to make things right. Right in our mind, right? Not, not right, because right would be to offer forgiveness. So what do you do? When you can't do it on your own, you go back to the Father, and you begin to pray. You begin to pray for those people who have wronged you. Can I tell you, they won't always change, right? That They won't always change. Sometimes they're just going to be wrong, and they're always going to be wrong. They're just mean. But what happens when you begin to pray for them is God begins to do a work in you. And then all of those mean things they did to you, it doesn't seem such like a, such a big deal anymore. 
The farther away from it you get and the more you talk to God, the less those things they were doing seem to weigh on you. See, when you pray for them, you change, whether they do or not. No longer do you have this weight holding you down because that's really what unforgiveness is, isn't it? It's this weight that we just carry with us. It, it makes us sick. It makes us tired. It makes us anxious. It makes us depressed. It's just a weight we were not meant to bear. That's why, God, that's why Jesus is modeling forgiveness there in the most horrific pain, the, the, the most incredible agony, and he is saying, Father, forgive them. Yes, because we needed forgiveness, but yes, because we need to be offering forgiveness as well. And I know we feel sometimes like nobody knows what we've experienced. I'm here to tell you, Jesus knows. We just went through the litany of all the stuff that Jesus went through. And in John chapter 19, we see his humanity. When Jesus cries out from the cross, I thirst. He says, I thirst. In all his pain, in all his agony, he's hanging there upon the cross. He says, I thirst. It's to remind us that while he is all God, he was also all man. He was fully man. He had real needs and he felt real pain. We, we think when we're in the middle of, of a situation, we, we often think, nobody can know the depth of my pain. Nobody can know what I've gone through. Nobody can know the sorrow that I face. I say to you today, there is one who can. His name is Jesus. He understands it all too well. Oftentimes when, when talking about how Jesus sees, you'll hear a message preached out of Mark. I've preached it too. It preaches real good. It talks about how when Jesus was up on the mountain praying and the disciples were out on the, on the sea and they were, they were straining against the, the oars, the sea was rough, the winds were coming, the waves were, were pounding. And what's it say? It says Jesus walked out to them. And what did he do? He walked on the water, the very thing that they were straining against. And man, that preaches really good. I mean, people can get excited about that, right? But listen, hanging on the cross, I think he demonstrates his personal care for us even more. When he says this, to John and his mother. He says, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. See, even in his death, he was thinking about others. Even, even as he was there and he was about to die, he saw the need of his mom. And he saw the need of his dear friend offering care for them, even in that moment. John 3, 16, you know it well. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So he came for this moment right there. That we could have eternal life. But listen, he also came so you could have life right now too. And that's what he was saying to his mom and to his friend in that moment. He's saying, in agony, hanging on the cross, he's saying, Mom, you're going to need someone to care for you. Here's my friend, John. And he's saying to his friend, John, you're going to miss me. Here's my mom. The humanity in that, the care that is in that. See, you may feel you're alone in the struggle right now, but I'm here to tell you this morning, he sees your pain. He hears your cry, and he loves you so much because hanging there on the cross, he did that for you while you were still enemies. See, if you, if you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're walking in forgiveness and, and you have eternity to look forward to with him, that's great, but know this. He still sees the pain that you go through today. He still cares. He loved you when you didn't love him. Do you think he's going to love you any less now? No. And he did that for you while you were an enemy. His first words on the cross, Father, forgive them. Was it so we could all say sorry and all would be forgiven? No. The forgiveness was to eliminate the obstacle that separated us from him. That obstacle was sin. The word says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the only thing that can allow us to come back into right standing with him is if that sin penalty was paid. And the only way for that sin to be paid, that penalty, that price to be paid was the blood of the lamb. And in Jesus we have the perfect sacrificial lamb. The only way for this to happen, though, is if he would become sin. And that's exactly what happened upon the cross. When Jesus spoke these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, in that moment, the father turned away from him. He was no longer able to look upon the the, the son in that moment. The most sacrificing, selfless act of love we could ever imagine is that he loved you so much that he allowed his son to suffer in your place. The father turned away from Jesus because Jesus in that moment become sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul tells us, For he made him who, was no sin, who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The father and son had been together for all of eternity. But at that moment, Jesus experienced separation from the father. Can I tell you today, without Christ, you will remain separated for all eternity. That is the reality of our sin. That is the weight that sin bears. And in, in these words, 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is showing us the reality of our sin. For the wages of sin is death. There's a price to be paid. And the good news for you and for me is if we will accept it, the price has already been paid. How do I know? Because hanging upon the cross, Jesus declared, it is finished. What was finished? The perfect work of Christ. The perfect life lived, the perfect sacrifice given, the perfect death. All is done. Every debt of sin paid. He became the final and perfect sacrificial lamb. He is the Passover lamb. His blood shed, his tomb empty. And because of that, the grave is not the end. When you place your faith in the perfect work of Jesus, it has been finished for you. It has been accomplished. In those words, though, he's telling us. When he says it is finished, he's telling us to stay the course. He stayed the course all the way to the end. He's letting you know that he wants you to get to the end of this life and say, I have fought the good fight and I have kept the faith. And he wants you to stay the course so that he can look upon you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But can I tell you something today? As long as you have breath in your body, you have unfinished business. His perfect work is done, but he's got a work for you to do. And I'm not talking about a work towards salvation. That's not what I'm saying here. We are saved by the grace of God, by the blood of Jesus, and that, and that alone. But he's got a plan for you. He's got a work for you. He created you perfectly to, cre to, to carry out this work that only you can do. And he wants you to be about completing it so that you can get to the end of the life and say it is finished. And can I tell you, until you draw that last breath, it's not finished. I don't care how young you are or how old you are. It's not finished until you get to the end and you are with him in eternity. Some of you today have unfinished business and relationships. You know, as we talk today about forgiveness and what God did on the or what what God did through Christ on the cross and how Jesus said Father, forgive them. Some of you today have been prompted to do just the same. There are people in your life that you've been holding on to, to grudges, to bitterness, to anger, and you've held on to it for a long time. You, you thought you've kind of maybe got past it, but you never really dealt with it. And today, as we look to the work of Jesus, in, in the sacrificial love that he gave and the forgiveness that he offered, we realize, you know what, I got some unforgiveness that I got to deal with. If that's you, I say, don't wait. Take care of it today. 
If it means making a phone call and knocking on a door or, 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 or writing a letter or whatever it may be, don't let it go any longer. Take a lesson from that first set of words on the cross and offer forgiveness. Make it right. Don't wait. I'm telling you this. You're going to feel a weight released. You're going to feel freedom like you haven't felt. I also want to tell you today, make a decision today to stay the course. Commit just as Jesus did in the garden. It ain't always going to be easy. It wasn't easy for him. But, but make the decision today, not my will be done, because my will says what? Get mine and get even, right? Not my will, but your will be done. It's not going to be easy, but he's given us some great lessons from the cross. But he didn't wait till that moment on the cross to make the decision. The decision had already been made in prayer. When he said, Father, if there is any other way, but not my will, but yours, be done. That's what you got to do today. His will says, let it go. His will says, pray for them. His will, will says, bless them. Not just pray for them to help you get past it. Pray God's blessing over them. And, and when you can come to a place where you can truly pray blessing over those who have wronged you, you know you're on your way to finishing strong. Because I'm here to tell you, your decisions not only affect you, they affect those around you. Dads, when you're holding bitterness and anger, it affects your wife, it affects your kids. Moms, the same for you. When you're holding on to anger and bitterness, it affects all of those around you. Forgiveness is about removing the obstacle. For us and God, the obstacle was sin. For us and people, you know what that obstacle is. Offer forgiveness. He's offered his freely. Have you done the same? Can I pray for you today?